Today on Parent Time, we dissect the esoteric conundrum of being drawn to the middle of two truths, as well as some killer family truths as we chat to the one and only Secret Agent 23 Skidoo on Benny Asking People Questions. In the genre of family music, the general idea is to write music for the family to enjoy creating spaces and themes for a wholesome connection. However, my next guest took the genre and rather going to meet it, dragged it and its families over to meet him. With an incredibly mature soundtrack and musical conviction, his content has the warmth of freshly baked bread while furiously demanding we get up and move. He is undoubtedly a genre all to his own, which is understandable when you consider the talent needed to mimic it. I am truly beyond thrilled today to be chatting with Cactus Skidoo, aka Secret Agent 23 Skidoo. Welcome, Cactus. Oh, thank you so much, man. Those are some very kind words that you said there, <laughs> and it's very satisfying to hear them. And first of all, um, I just really like that you said, first of all, family music, not children's music. Yep. And that you said that the purpose of it is to create a connection because... I think that's true. And this is not to say also that there are not people making children's music on purpose and that that that's a beautiful thing as well. But um, what I'm working on making myself is family music. And that is something that not only works for the kid, but also works for the parents that are listening to it and especially works to create a conversation in between the two that has things that are accessible, but also concepts and topics that are deep enough and even the vocabulary sometimes that's a little bit over their head so they have to ask what this word means that will then spark a conversation about the topic of the song. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of stuff in there that I think um, on the on that family aspect, I think musically in particular you do that. I think the music, um, uh, your music definitely can bring in anyone. Like it's so complex and so um, and so meticulously thought out that you kind of present that anyway, I think. But but lyrically, yes, you can hear that the, the things that I think a child will hear but will need to go to an adult to kind of get conviction on later on at home. Um, and I think that's the joy of what you do. And I also just, I mean, we'll get to the lyrics later because they're obviously an enormous part of what what's almost the heart of it. Um, but, yeah, there's, it's, it's, it's filled with so much, you know, that, that the child will have nothing to do but to go home and go, I need to hear that again, I need to hear that again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they love to do lot- that too in terms of like, you know, I have been experimenting with the complexity of like where you can actually, how how complex can you make it? How many words can you fit in? How strange mm. can the story be? And to me, the thing that is always a reminder of how interested the kids actually are is when I go and I see the front row having the words memorized. <laughs> Yeah, right. That's that was a question I was going to ask because obviously, with, with particularly with a lot of the speed in which you do the rapping, um, particularly on on some of the later albums compared to the earlier ones, I do often wonder because because when you're in a studio environment, you get to produce and edit and compress and separate and keep it nice and clear and and distinct. But when you're on a live stage, you're up against the type of PA, the kind of microphone the crowd, the environment, the ambient noise. I mean, do you, I mean, is it sometimes a bit tricky to take such complex lyrical content with such messaging and try to make sure it's heard live as well? 
or is live just about the dancing and getting into it? Well, it's both of those, right? I mean, what the live show is about is it's a spectacle. It's a sensation that hits you on a lot of different levels. And obviously, as somebody who really does care about the lyrics and really does care about the story that's told and really does care about the message, I always want to make sure that the kids get as much of that as possible and that everybody in the audience gets as much of that as possible. But um, also as a fan of hip hop, I understand how this thing works, right? Like if you're going to go to a hip hop show, the best thing you can do is listen to the music beforehand. So you really understand what's about to happen. Like, you know, we just went and saw Hamilton this weekend. And as much as I've listened to that whole soundtrack, I made sure to listen to the whole thing or as much of it as possible before we got there so that I could really, you know, almost like dust off the neural pathways to make sure that it all comes through. Um, but, you know, have, well, having said that, you know, there are certain songs that are easier to comprehend and there are certain songs that are more like lyrical fireworks. And if they if the kids get the ones that are easy to comprehend and then if they get certain parts of the lyrical fireworks, but are still part of the spectacle of what that looks and feels like to watch somebody lyrically doing that thing, then that's cool too. We are all made of stardust. Connecting us all is what art does. The universe is so marvelous, it's startless. Pardon my soliloquy, though. My name is Barnabas, the scientist in charge of this. World search for alien life. My telescope's pointed stars barely in sight. I write down how they flash. Because maybe it might be a code we can grasp translating it right. One thing about your music that I feel you do a lot is you reflect a lot of your own childhood. Now, I don't know if you do that because... Like you talk a lot about when you were younger, when you were younger, and and I don't know if you're doing that because you want the child to or the listener to feel a connection with you, or do you do a lot of this because it's quite cathartic for you? Is it a bit cathartic to actually talk about your own childhood well, in some of those in that respect? I think both of those things that you said are true, but there's a third level which is even more important to me, which is, you know, I remember the experience personally of feeling uh different and feeling you know separate and you know unique has a positive connotation but that's not how i felt as a kid you know i felt weird i felt like a misfit um and i also remember the experience of listening to music that inspired me but feeling like that music was a million miles away in a city i would never visit being said by a person that i could never be and so for me to talk about my childhood in a way that might be relatable to kids feel that way, you know, the unspoken chain is that like, okay, well, the person who's in the same position as you has now ended up in this situation, you know, and now, you know, I mean, if I could, if somebody would have been able to tell me when I was a kid that I would become who I am now, that would have taken such a weight off my shoulders. You know, I mean, I guess the irony is it would have taken such a weight off my shoulders. I never would have become the weird musician that became this person. <laughs> but, true, true. but it's a form of like, you know, personalized first person hope, you know, you can hear that. I think I think, um, you know, I was listening to Space Cadet, which, you know, is, is such a beautiful song. It is such a respectful, touching nod to a deep thinker and a rich idealist. Um, and this kind of idea permeates through all your songs. You've got this idea of celebrating the now because you don't know what it will mean later. Yeah. You know, you, you do it in super in superpowers. You know, you get this, I'm going to get it someday, but I don't know what it's going to be yet. Um, another really beautiful example is um, electricity. You know, you lose the adventure of uncertainty if you want everything to work now. Yeah. Um, and I was sort of trying to 
I was trying to sort of articulate it and to find out how to ask, but then there's this one line. I got to um, give it up for the monster. And there's a line. <laughs> there's a line in it where you say, "I wouldn't change it even if I could." And for me, that almost sums up everything you're trying to say in your music and in your message. You're trying to say, or and, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're trying to say, you know, this thing looks bad, but the joy is what's going to come out of it. It is going to create who you are. It's going to shape who you are. And that seems to be a pretty recurring theme in what you do. Is that is that a reasonably fair comment? Well, that's a deep comment. I love that uh, this is probably the deepest interview on my music <laughs> I've ever been part of. This is so satisfying. <laughs> So to answer that, I'll have to go a little bit deep as well. You've got as long as, as I said at the start, mate, you've got as long as you need. Great. Um, it's interesting that you say that a recurring theme in my music is, you know, to focus on the moment now because we don't know what it'll be later. I've been making a lot of singles lately too, and a lot of them are for families, and a lot of them are they're family-friendly in the sense that you can play them in front of your kid, but they might the complexity I'm pushing to the degree that you have to probably be a teenager or a grown up to really get it. It's not that a kid couldn't listen to it. Like it's not offensive in any way or inappropriate, but it's just with some of these singles I'm really pushing. And um, that's one of the themes that I see myself coming back to a lot as well. And, you know, that's because I think to live in this world that we're in right now, to live in the world as an individual when actually biologically we're supposed to be more of a group mind um, mm. to live in a world that's so full of beauty and so full of wonder and so full of beautiful surprises and music and art and love. And at the same time, such undeniable pain and suffering and, you know, like a new thing that just about destroys your mind and heart every day um, to be simultaneously connected online to every wonderful invention that's happening across the world and then also every tragedy that's happening across the world like you almost have to live on multiple levels at the same time and you have to be able to navigate on purpose what level you want to be on it's almost like frequencies right um so on one level you're an individual that's navigating this heroic journey and writing your own narrative and using free will and choice to try to make the best things happen for you, make the best things happen for your family and friends and make the best things happen for the world. And there is a real sense of you do want to change things and you, you have to kind of make judgments of like what's better and what's worse and try to navigate that and try to affect that. But then on a whole nother level, you know, that is kind of simultaneously the biggest and smallest level at the same time, everything that's happening is perfect and everything that's happening is beautiful. And to be able to just, observe it and be part of it and you know like like rizza said in the dead don't die the world is perfect appreciate the details um you know that's true as well and and i think that the place where those two things come together is the consciousness of the moment you know not really being focused so much on the yesterdays and tomorrows but really being right here in this moment not only feeling all these different the spectrum of like you know colors and sounds and all the sensations, but also feeling that on the inside of your consciousness, like how there is anticipation of the future that feels both like anxiety and excitement at the same time. You're my little telescope, always staring into space. You're my little wild clock, always got your hands 
Yeah, and I guess it's like celebrating, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's sort of also a bit like celebrating the now um, because the now is important. It doesn't necessarily mean it's necessary, but it is important. Um, you know, there's a, uh, there's a great line Mr. Rogers says um, where his mother sat him down when he was young and said, you know, whenever you see a tragedy, if you look closely, you'll see people helping. Mm-hmm. I love that and too. It's that, yeah, and it's that kind of idea that you're going, you know, the tragedy didn't need to happen, but it's important that we notice the importance in it, which is those things. And, and I think that's something I hear again and again in your music is this idea of, you know, and, and, I, and I, I briefly referenced it before, um, Space Cadet is, you know, it's such a beautiful way of celebrating this child who's just who is just sitting there and gazing off yeah wonder you know and and it's about and and you know you're not i think adults understand that you would hope but you know to put it in the hands of a child going you know you don't know what's going on in that kid's brain it could be something extraordinary and in 10 15 years who knows what that kid's going to do with that kind of power well you know i think one of the distinctions too between the way a kid thinks and the way a grown up thinks and you know you were talking at the beginning of this about how uh, a lot of who a self becomes is somewhat solidified by the time they're six years old, right? Mm. Um, one thing I've noticed is this is a quality that kids have, and this is also a quality that only, you know, really sort of like, I mean, genius is a weird word, but people that really are able to think in a very expansive way have is to be able to hold two opposing ideas in your mind at the same time. Right. Like I remember, um, well, there's an example I want to talk about, but it, uh, it involves the existence of Santa Claus. Uh, so I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> well, no, you can use it because I don't, I don't know how many kids sit down and listen to this. It's definitely more for the adults. So it's, it's up to you, mate. You can go ahead and use the example. And, um... Well, all right, I will then. <laughs> <laughs> so when my kid was like four, I think, three or four, four probably, um, she was in the back uh, the backseat of the car as we we're driving to school. And she says to me, Hey dad, do you think Santa Claus is real? And I said, I don't know. What do you think? And she said, I think it's you and mom. And I was like, okay. And then she said, looking out the window, she said, I wonder what Santa Claus is going to bring me for Christmas. And at first I thought, uh, this kid is slick, you know what I'm saying? She's trying to like, you know, that's a real passive aggressive way to ask for a gift, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but the more yeah, well, I listened to her tone, the more I realized she was simultaneously believing both of those things. It didn't have to be one or the other. And, you know, it got me to thinking about why is it that we, why is it that we have to know everything for sure about it's definitely this and it's definitely not that. Yeah. When, you yeah. know, I mean, certain things in life, obviously, as you navigate the world, you know, uh, is a manhole a good place to step if it's open? No, probably not. <laughs> but 
other things, when, especially when you're thinking really big picture, you know, having multiple options, even options that oppose each other and being able to entertain them simultaneously, that's, that's brilliant. That's one of the best ways to live life, like thinking on a spectrum as, as opposed to dualistic. Well, I guess, too, if everything's so black and white, you might miss out on the good bits, like you're saying, that exist on both sides. You know? right. But if you're able to kind of draw on both, it's, I guess it's about is it, a, is, it, is it an educational or is it a, is it a good moment or is it a bad moment, you know yeah. what I mean? And, you know, you've, and they can come from either side. Which, which that really links back to what you're talking about with the moment is the, the, the string of events that leads up to a moment whether they're tragedies or whether they're victories, a lot of times gets defined by what happens in that moment. Like even you can redefine the past through what happens in the future sometimes. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like okay, for instance, for instance. Um, and this is, I'm going to bring up the Grammy right now. And this shows to me like that doesn't, to me that doesn't define anything about what my art is. To me the, that's a side effect of what my art is. You see what mm-hmm. I'm saying? But to other people, it does define the quality of my art. And so, for instance, people would say, oh, you know, you, you, hey, you, had such a, you had such a hard time as a kid. You know, you were a misfit. That's so sad. That's, uh, you know, oh, he was always on the outside of the circle a little bit. You know, wasn't that a tragedy? And then all of a sudden this thing happens and they're like, see, we always knew you'd be special. And I'm like, well, wow, that's two ways to say the exact same thing except for the second time it's a victory and the first time it's a tragedy. Yeah. So yeah. even the way that these things, you know, our judgments of what is good and what is bad and what is painful and what is joyful and, you know, and especially when dealing with other people and, you know, what that must have been like for them, you know, all of that is malleable and all of that leads up to the moment where really everything exists simultaneously. I remember everything. This stuff frog played songs when you pull the string. Make believe games. We both threw wings. Astronaut blasting off when I push you on the swings. When the summer spring, you fall and I catch you. I felt extra in love when I met you. You were made of rubber, but it felt like eggshells. Bedtime stories mixed with baby head smell. And then you grew like a beast. If we're looking at your lyrics then, just, just purely on a constructive level, I mean, I was trying, when I was listening, I've got to tell you, hands down, this has probably been the most fun research I've ever done. For <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I, I just sadly don't think I got to everything that was available, but I, I did my best. Um, <laughs> but I was, I was going through it like I'd hear a really good line. I'd go, yeah, write that down, talk about that. And then I'd barely even write the first two words down, then the next one would come. And it just ended up being totally futile. I'm like, I'm just giving up. I'm, not, I'm just going to, I'm just going to put it out there. They're all worth sitting down and examining. I don't have time, but feel free to, you know, pick your favorite. But what I do want to ask is, when when you've got that much going on behind your lyrics, like everything you've just talked about then, and the things that you say, and the things we've just discussed, how do you? Like they're such lyrical feasts. What kind of scrutiny do you give them? I mean, how? What percentage is revision and rewritten, or how much is it just natural gift? Um, let's see. What's the best way to answer that? I definitely am a fan of editing. I didn't always used to be a fan of editing. I used to kind of be of that mind state of like, oh, it must be. It has to be lightning in a bottle. It has to just happen like a, you know, like a like a bolt from the sky. But now I don't feel that way at all. Now. I'm all about 
read it messy and full and incomplete the first time and then go back and tighten it up as much as possible. Yeah. Um, is that is that a byproduct of just purely the hip hop genre as well? Which like, is what the byproduct like like the idea of the lightning in the bottle type thing. I mean, is that well, somewhat? Like, and also, it's probably a byproduct of I began my um, my career as pretty much just freestyling. Like you know, it started out with when I when I started learning how to how to rap at the beginning. It was a lot less about writing it down and a lot more about getting together with a circle of people and playing drums and everything and then just freestyling. Um, so in some senses, I think I felt like the most raw, potent thing you could ever have is the closest thing to the freestyle. Yeah. Um, I guess now I developed to the point of like, I still feel like sometimes in the moment, especially when you're speaking about things that are happening around you and speaking about the people that are in the room and like, there's no better feeling as a rapper than like when you begin, uh, begin a rhyme not knowing where it's going to go and how you're going to land it. And then at the very last split second, the word hits your head and you land it. And you're like, wow, I never would have thought of that if I sat down and tried to write it. Um, yeah, sure. So something about that is magical. But, you know, there's also something about really taking time and revising and revising. Some of my favorite songs that I've written started out with completely different endings. And then I'd go back and change them. So I think editing's fantastic as well. Do you do you often because I got such clear messages, do you often find yourself revisiting because of the the way the where the music takes them? I mean like yeah, I definitely. guess like any like anything it's on paper, but then once you put it to a beat and put it to a band and put it to you know, it starts you know, the music starts telling you what the lyrical content is. Yeah, somewhat. I mean it's interesting because most of my albums that I've put out started with me coming up with ideas for the songs and deciding what instrument should be on those songs and then getting together with the musicians and explaining what the song was about, probably about what the BPM was, what the general vibe is, and maybe, you know, here's the melody of the hook. And then they would build that. And then most of the time I'd kind of have the hook figured out or at least the story of what the song was going to be. And then I would write the lyrics after the music exists because then you have to feel where the pocket of the beat is and everything. Um, but I've been working with a bunch of singles this last year and a half. I'm putting out a five song EP every month of this year. Yeah. Um, yes. And all of those. <laughs> I'll definitely get to that later. That's kind of blowing my brain a little bit. So. <laughs> you and me both, man. <laughs> yeah, it's blowing my brain. I, I don't even know where you find, you know, I've got time to put my brain back in, but I don't think you have time for that. But so for those, like those have all been me working with producer, pred predominantly two producers, from here in California that I work with named Spence Quality and Jay Kendall. Shout out to both of those dudes. But in this situation, they'll come up with the music, they'll come up with the beat pretty much finished and then give me the beats. And then I'll, you know, put them on the headphones, go for a walk in the woods and just space really? out and figure out like, what is this song about? Like, what is this beat yeah, telling right. me that it's about? Which is really a cool process. It makes you write songs that you wouldn't otherwise. You ever seen a moth around a flickering flame? Getting so close, it's almost an Icarus thing. Yo, that's deep love, even if you consider it strange. Here's a story of a different moth glimmers her name. She shimmered and changed in a beam of light from green to white. When seen in flight, she gleamed like a dream might. Fuzzy soft wings held her aloft like a balloon. Who'd have thought a lunar moth would fall in love with the moon? But that's what happened. She was a younger moth back there, fresh from the cocoon. Fluttering and flapping with the buddies and laughing. In the summer, just basking in firelight till her eyes fire the brightest sight at the highest height. Deepest so so when, when we are talking about 
um, Secret Agent Twenty Three Skidoo. Are we? Are we? Are we saying you're the front man and there's like a a, a myriad of people behind you, or <laughs> is it? This is, is a... it, has it because because obviously, I mean, if if we just look at um, Infinity Plus One, which I you know for obvious reasons I kind of lost myself inside of, um, you know, to me that was an incredibly live funk album i heard a lot a lot more live people in the studio and i and i heard and i felt you in a room with a bunch of people just banging it out and working it out and, and putting these things together yeah that's about right yeah so so what you know whereas the early ones felt a bit more you know more single producers in in a studio type deal um is it's yeah so what what's your what is your process? I mean, I know that's a massive question. Well, no, it's, you... to answer that, and it's actually perfect timing. Um, so one thing that we're doing this year is we're kind of like rebranding slash converting our stage show. And, you know, basically I'm Secret Agent 23 Skidoo, but the crew that I travel with is going to be now called the Secret Agency. And we're going to perform as the Secret Agency. Yeah, um, right. And what that means is not only... So, like... The albums and most of the songs is essentially lyrically, I'm at the center of it. And a lot of times production wise, as how the song comes together, I'm at the center of it as well. But what we were realizing a lot is on stage, having me at the center of everything, like kind of like a band leader or like a pirate captain or whatever. um, It's not as potent as the thing could be. It's a lot more potent if everybody on stage is in the center and everybody gets a chance to step in and become the person in the spotlight and tell, you know, tell what they're talking about and represent who they are. Because, you know, I travel with a, a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multi-gender band and every single one of those people should be standing in the spotlight so that the people in the audience can see themselves reflected there. The tagline is we're the secret agency um, and we're here to find hidden intelligence. Right. And so we've started even breaking down the different types of intelligence that you can have. Um, this guy named Howard Gardner in the 80s came up with this thing that has, you know, been a centerpiece of psychology since then called the nine intelligences. And there's all these different, like, you know, so maybe, maybe you have um, uh, what, kinesio intelligence you know kinesthetic so that's like the the dancers can do that right or um you know maybe you have spatial intelligence so the person that made all the art for the show has that or maybe you have interpersonal like me talking to you maybe you have intrapersonal which is you understanding yourself and we're going to start talking about how the different songs relate to each of these forms of intelligence so that we can show the kids like you know, don't think that there's one type of intelligence, especially that it's yeah. academic, and that if you don't have that, you're dumb or something. So, so if you're, you're going to bring, are they going to be bringing live players, or they're going to be predominantly performers? Are they going to be? Are they going to have a band on stage? I wish, man. Um, predominantly, we travel with a trio. Sometimes we add a couple of dancers to it. Now we have performed with a live band before, and those are the most fun you could ever have but frankly mm. you know when, when it comes it's to traveling like booking like that. 15 people mm. it's, it's tough to get somebody to pay for that 
Well, I was going to ask because obviously, I mean, one thing that you have in the in the states is is you have this opportunity for an enormous touring year uh-huh. or three months over summer. Um, well, you've got a lot of ground you can potentially cover. So yeah. I was going to ask: Is it? I mean, how do you how do you make that doable? I mean, particularly being a father, being a husband, being lead. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of hats to juggle for you to just pack up and go away for, yeah. for three months. You know. <laughs> So how do you how do you do that? Well, a couple well, things. Well, hey, you get your daughter in the band, I guess. Yeah, that's the first step. <laughs> yep. I mean, that was a lot of it at the beginning was, you know, I traveled for a good, you know, 12, 12 years or so before, well, about 10 years before I started Skidoo with this other band uh, that was called GFE and, you know, basically like a 12-person experimental funk hip-hop band. It was, you know, full, full setup on stage. At one point, we even had two drum kits on stage. We had like five rappers. It was really, <laughs> it was, man, it was huge and crazy. Um, yeah. But then, you know, I get to that point where I'm on the road a lot and I come back and my daughter's growing up mm. and I'm just kind of at that weird crossroads where it's like, well, the better my band does, the worse it is for my family. And how do you navigate that? So, that wasn't the only reason that I started creating this band, but as it progressed, I was like, this is perfect. If we can all tour together, if she can be on stage next to me, you know, and, and my wife as well, she, uh, she's a fantastic dancer and she's a singer and she gets on stage. We toured that way for a number of years, just basically as a trio, sometimes with a, a DJ, sometimes we bring other singers, but everybody on stage together. So that solved that problem for a number of the most important years of my daughter growing up, which is yeah, sure. super cool. Um, and what an education for her, huh? Like yeah, what a, yeah. What an amazing way to, to, to just show her the world, or at least show her your world, you know? Well, both, really. We did get to travel a lot, which is cool. It's always hard to get the shooting star shoot farther. How do you be when you wear a suit of armor? Do birds like to practice singing in the bath? And is it still cold skinny dipping if you're fat? If I was a sky rider, I'd sign my name on a sunset. Then put a picture of it in a frame. But if I was a stupid diver, I'd hide and jump out and scare submarines at ride by like a ghost painted Being able to pass on to your kid the things that you've learned and how you do that. I mean, being able to write something like how important it is to believe in yourself, even if you're different, into a song and then teach her that song mm. and have her memorize mm. that. And then for her to get up on stage and say that, yeah. it's it just, it it makes that sentiment root down in her DNA, I think. So, yeah. How did, how did, and, and MC Fireworks, how, is it pronounced Saki? Is that Saki, her yeah. Name? Yeah, her Saki. full name is Sakara and Sakara. everybody calls her Saki. Yeah. So did, how did, like, because I must say, she's actually really good. Yeah, like, she is. Very good. I know. I was, I was quite, like, quite blown away. Uh, like, the timing, like, it's really quite, you know, when I first heard her, I went, it feels like an adult's done it and they've tweaked it to make it sound like it. Because <laughs> it's just, rhythmically, it's just, like, on the money. Like, yeah. Um, I agree. How, Thank you for saying it. Yeah. Did So is that something, like, I guess if she's just around you and she's watching it and she's on tour, it's going to become part of her DNA, isn't it? Well, that's part of it. And also, you know. Or are you a stage dad? uh, Well, I wouldn't say I'm a stage dad, but I'll say that (laughs) I I taught her that what happens on stage only happens because of everything that happens off stage. 
Yeah, sure. um, you know, and so <laughs> practicing something until it's actually good, not just getting away with the fact that you're cute and you're rapping and, oh, isn't that cool? But like, you know, we take we take this craft seriously and we also yeah, yeah, we also tell. understand that, like, you know, we're uh, I, um, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in southern Indiana. I'm a white dude. I do not in any sense come from the the place where the origins of hip hop are. Right. Mm. So in that sense, if you're going to respectfully deal with that craft and deal with the art form, I think you have to do a number of things. Number one, you have to really understand the history of it so that you can give respect where respect is due and understand where it comes from. Mm -hmm. Um, Number two, you have to do it your own way and not mimic what somebody else is doing. And number three, you know, you have to really practice and really respect the art form and not just think, oh, people people like rap and a kid rapping will probably be cute. So let's throw that on stage and people will love it. Talking about that craft then, because obviously hip hop is, is your, your thing. But I mean, obviously there's, I mean, I hear, I mean, there's funk, there's soul, there's even kind of gypsy cabaret sort of stuff in a lot of yeah. your work. So growing up for you, you, you gave a nod to the Asheville, North Carolina music scene. Mm-hmm. Where, how did it start for you? Like, I mean, I guess what point, and we'll just touch on it briefly. How, at what point did you stumble across hip hop and go, yep, that's me. What have I got to do? I mean, I feel like I was probably somewhere around nine or 10. Um, and, you know, as you watch the spread, like now that I've actually gone back and done the history and really understood the way in which hip hop spread throughout America and the years that it did, um, you know, I was, uh, I was the perfect target of uh, Rick Rubin and Russell Simmons' plan to spread hip hop to you know white suburban America by using <laughs> the Beastie Boys as a bridge to do that. Like that was definitely the first thing that really hit me, and from that I was able to kind of expand into everything else. From at the time N.W.A., Public Enemy, Poor Rich, Just Teachers, all kinds of stuff like that. But uh, you know, and then kept going, and then. I was lucky enough to really start coming of age in this, like, you know, the latter part of the golden age of hip hop when you had Tribe Called Quest and De La Soul mm-hmm. and then into Most Def and Talib Kweli, KRS, all of that stuff. And that was a huge explosion that really reverberated through almost every scene in America and where all of a sudden, like, especially freestyling was really huge at that point. Like, Mm. Much more so than it is now. Back back in that time, like late 90s, if you went to a hip hop show of any kind, there was definitely going to be a cypher where everybody's going to be rapping. And if you if you rapped at all and you went to a hip hop show, you're going to end up rapping that night. So that was cool. That was real inclusive. That was really that made a lot of different styles develop because, you know, when everybody is when everybody's welcomed in, but at the same time, you have to practice your craft or you're not really going to be respected, then that creates a lot of little mutations of hip hop, which is what I think happened in the late nineties. And I think I'm one of those. Oh yeah. And I also think you can, I mean, again, as a novice from over here, I think you can tell that in the way that you, yours, you, like, I think, I think you can, 
in the way that you create your music, there's there is a lot of influences in there. Like, I mean, I, I think I was listening to um, Multiverse, and the opening track I, for me was like MC Nine Hundred Foot Jesus. Ah, and cool. <laughs> Rocket Ship. I felt like I'd land in the middle of D'Angelo's Black Messiah. Like it was kind of <laughs> all these, all these, like you know, and it kind of like all these random things that I guess that's the difference between being in constant a genre and trying to mimic a genre really yeah. isn't it at the heart of it yeah and it's it's meant to be and that's that's also a thing that i think is great about the family music genre if you want to call it a genre is you know these kids it's not like they've already set up boundaries in their mind about what kind of fan they are right like they're not mm-hmm. like oh basically i'm into you know old school r&b and, and country and i'm not really into edm like nah kids yeah, sure. kids will listen to anything as long as it's good so therefore you know, you have this freedom to be able to combine these genres as long as you do it well and as long as you make it into music that is appealing to them. Cause there's no adversary for a vocabulary that's used And the notepad is very well used Words are like mirrors, telescopes, microscopes You write a quote, just right, it feel kinda dope Like a rope, you can climb to the stars Up to your own mind just to find who you are Say word, <laughs> Understand what you heard and the truth emerge Say word, <laughs> Have you have you ever had lyrics or an idea or content or I guess a theme that you haven't done that you either want to do don't feel you know how you can do? Yeah, definitely. And I've had things <laughs> yeah. that I've changed around a little bit. Like for instance, on um, what was it on on Perfect Quirk? There's a song called Get, Guess What. And the hook goes, guess what? Everybody gets a chance to mess up. Isn't that nice to know? Right. And that's the second iteration of that hook. Because the first iteration I wanted to do was, guess what? Everybody's just a little messed up. Isn't that nice to know? And like, I really thought about that for days because I was like, man, is that... Is that me telling a kid for the first time that they're messed up? Like, that's not really this. I don't want to be providing that sentiment. But at the same time, if anybody feels like they are a little bit messed up for them to understand that everybody's in the same boat would be a really uplifting message. So which side is more potent? And, you know, I thought myself down the rabbit hole to when I'm I'm finally like, (laughs) all right, I've thought too hard about it. I can't do it. Everybody gets a chance to mess up. I like the idea of weighty topics. I just think that they have to be something that I'm doing because there's a piece that inspires me that is about that. Like, I don't go at an album being like, okay, on this album, I want to talk about, you know, death, racism, and, um, you know, a sexual abuse or something like that. Like, mm. if there was a story that came to me based on music, and all of a sudden an yeah. idea hit my head that kind of like worked with my style of delivery, then I would do that. Yeah. But, um, but I don't often go into it saying this is the thing that I want to push mm. this time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I really respect the fact that people, people within the music, the family music scene are able to talk about those things. I think that's really important. I think mm. that, you know, talking about true fear and disconnection and, tragedy and things like that it's not like kids don't know these things exist they're not inappropriate for kids as a matter of fact 
they're dealing with them more than anything. That's kind of like what makes their consciousness come online. I mean, that's why that's why almost every Disney movie starts with one of the parents dying, you know? Um, But, you know, I'd have to, it would have to be the song. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm kind of like uh, Dave Chappelle at one point talked about how a lot of times, you know, a great idea. It's like, you know, you're in, you're not in the driver's seat when the idea happens. You're in the, yeah, you're in the sure. passenger seat and the idea is like, come on, we're going, you know, and you're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. And I think, and I, and you know, look, and I think that's why when you, you, you really are particularly at your best for me anyway, when you are, or I guess just that you're most genuine when you are talking about like that, going back to the example before about, you know, the, the daydreamer, mm-hmm. you know, and celebrating that aspect of childhood, you know, yeah. I mean, you, you really are, I feel you're just so comfortable in that world and you articulate it so positively. Thank you. Um, so, you know, don't muck around with that. Just sit on that for a bit. <laughs> Your own flavor like purple, like sabers, I like the way we rhyme it. No stress, no blame, mess ups are okay. So let your quirkiness stay like snowflakes on cold days. And if you find you're out of the lines, keep coming. Man. Mistakes and greatness are like peanut butter and jam. That's why everybody gets a chance to mess up. Nobody's perfect, no, the rest of the world will love you even if you mess up. Isn't it nice to know? I guess what? <laughs> oh, Tapiola, do it again! <laughs> I'm lucky enough that my life is a very patchwork thing of Mm. sometimes traveling, sometimes working on the technical aspects of creating this art, sometimes being a family man. And, you know, as much as possible, I also like to keep some time in it that's just completely open so that those ideas can Mm. come through. You know, like I like to have time to just walk in the woods or just, you know, sleep in late and spend some time half half asleep, half awake so that things can start coming from dreams or whatever it is. Yeah, it's the um, it's it's the flexibility of uncertainty a bit, isn't it? Yeah. Um, this year's project, an EP every month, which I guess began with the figments of Polyglot. Yeah, that's right. Um, on my first listen, felt like it's going a little bit back to the older days of like perfect quirk <laughs> and that kind of thing. Well, you just wait. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's that's January. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll hold off. We'll we'll, we'll talk again in a year. And I'll, I'll, well, you I'll, can. I'll pull that how about apart. we'll talk again after this month? Because that first, <laughs> I'm basically putting them out as EPs. That first one was meant to be exactly that. It was meant to be sort of like, you know, a throwback to right over the plate, middle of the road, my style family music. Um, this next EP, however, is some of the most far out songs that I've made yet. And I'm grouping those all together as an EP. I mean, there's, there's one EP coming out that I'm not even on. I just wrote songs for other singers and rappers and, and they rapped them and I'm not even lyrically on it at all. Um, yeah. Even lyrically, the, the, the lyrics aren't yours. You've just given them up to other people. Well, right. Like I talk to somebody, I figure out where they're coming from, what what's happening in their life. I write a song based on that, inspired by that, where I'm kind of trying to speak from their personality and then, you know, maybe coach them a little bit on delivery or whatever. But yeah, mm. like on that whole EP, so you won't hear my voice once. Wow. There's one particular moment. I, I, I got to say Bon Voyage and like the first 40 seconds of, you know, my first multiverse. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I love that you top and tailed that album with such unconventionality. Um, like it's this, you know, it felt like a real tease because I felt that album, like particularly, it was a real growth. Like I mean, my, my last question would just be like, how do you say you've seen yourself grow? And but that to me was a real indication of, I guess, what you wanted to do. I don't know. Like it just felt like you're dropping in these moments of going, this is just pure imagination. Like, you don't need anything to this, but just sit, let it go through your brain. And just see what your brain does when it hears these sounds. And you know what those sounds are, right? Well, I did have a quick look. They're from they're from um, they're from some um, this their space sounds. Well, they're they? from all right. So that whole album is sort of loosely centered around the Carl Sagan's Gold Record, right? Um, on which, if people don't know, basically forty years ago, uh, NASA gave Carl Sagan the mission. Carl Sagan and his research assistant Andrewian the mission to come up with a record that sonically represented earth period. Um, so that means it could be, you know, what they finally decided on. That's such a just mega huge and kind yeah. of vague uh, job to be given. Oh, it's exhausting. Just it's, to hear, you know, hearing someone else having to do that. Makes <laughs> right. sick. So they, you know, they spent years doing it and, they came up with, you know, there's there's the word hello in like hundreds of languages. That's part of it. There's whale songs. There's uh, early rock and roll songs. There's classical music. There's sounds of the forest. There's like, I think, there's just all kinds of things because they're like, how do you represent this, you know? And so then they created it into two gold records that are made to last for like millions of years. And, and then they put a... Um, they try to figure out, you know, how are you going to teach an alien how to make a record player? So they have like a little plaque on there that's, you know, it's not in any language. It's just kind of in, it's in a diagram, basically, yeah, images of how you would, how you would play this record. And then they took that in two different spaceships, Voyager 1 and 2, and just fired them off in different directions to just fly out into space and hopefully eventually come in contact with something. Wow. And so while they were flying off, uh, they, they turned around and recorded the sound of the electromagnetic emanations of planet Earth. No. And, and they turned that into, you know, sound into, it's, you could call it music or it's just sound, right? Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, you know, I, I went down the legal rabbit hole on that and I'm like, okay, so NASA is funded <laughs> yeah, by the NASA government. NASA owns this. <laughs> so if NASA is funded by the government, that means this is public domain, right? <laughs> And it is. No, it is. Yeah. And so that's what that sound is. That's, and that's why it's so cool to listen wow. to it for the, that end piece where it's just, I don't know, man, that sound. Oh, I it's mean, incredible. It's yeah, incredible. I, I, and it's so calming and it's so like yeah. welcoming because that is literally the electromagnetic sound of the planet. And what a beautiful way to end that album too. Like it's just, it's, you know, it's what the album's about. Yeah. been over a decade um saki's now involved your wife's involved it gets bigger your music progresses it changes uh you're getting you know i guess you've had the luxury of being with orchestras and things like this 
looking back at what you're doing 10 years ago to now, how do you personally feel you've matured in what you're now bringing to this genre if we are forced to call it that? <laughs> yeah, genre is the weird word for it. Well, I think the I would answer that on two levels, musical and conceptual. Um, so musically, I've become a lot more confident in being able to take very strange ideas musically and turn them into a cohesive song. Um, working with the symphony was a big one for that. Yeah. That was overwhelming as a producer because I'd never, I don't, I don't really speak that language. You know, that's a very technical language. Half language. Yeah. And, um, but what I realized in that sense is that it's the power of collaboration that makes these things happen. You know, I mean, if, if I had come in, able to speak that language and able to tell everyone exactly what to do, I don't think that project would have ended up as as strong as it is because really it's about being able to speak to somebody in, in your language and find a common language with them and then them be able to add their part in musically. You know, you never want to confine somebody too much. You want to find brilliant mm. people and then let them be free. And that's what's going to make the best music. So, mm. you know, as a producer and a collaborator, I think um, I've matured to understanding that more. Yeah. Um, conceptually, conceptually, this all started with me as a father of a five-year-old and understanding how beautiful that was and understanding how magical the world of a five-year-old is and, you know, what, what that does to your brain as a grown-up, hanging out with them. And that first album was all about the stories that I would tell my kid, the games that I would play with my kid, the things that my kid made me think. And honestly, after dropping the first album, I was like a little scared, like, oh, am I going to be able to find more ideas? <laughs> Has the yeah. tap run dry? <laughs> um, and as she grew up, those ideas and stories just kept changing. So I was able to constantly have new material. And then it got to a certain point where she grew to the point where, like, if I was going to follow her progression, that would take me out of the parameters of what this family music thing really is yeah so that was a a time where i had to figure out where i was going to go and i think that's the time where it really expanded and became more universal than ever because that's when it became more about you know listening to my inner yeah. child or listening to the universal child of what it means you know what it means to be a human at at its essence which is shared by both children and by grown-ups yeah so in that you know, I think I continue to push, like, with this new, uh, with the EPs I'm putting out, I'm really curious about what the response in some of these things is going to be. Oh, yeah, man, for what you've said. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, man. Uh, <laughs> Just because I like to push those boundaries and see what's up. Like, I, I think more and more that, like, family music and the family genre is less about what you put in there and just about what you don't put in there. Like, if you don't put in the things that would bum, bum a kid out or or damage them mentally or spiritually. Mm. If you just take that out of the equation, there's so much left over. There's mm. almost the whole world left over if you know how to translate things right. So, curious about expanding it. If you love something, you set it free. Well, I love life, so I let it be. Tomorrow is something we'll never see. And yesterday's gone, just a memory. Now is the only thing we ever have. Time flies by, you don't get it back. You can make plans, but you better laugh. Cause nothing's set in stone but an epitaph. Anybody who understands psychology uh, understands that what happens to you as a kid 
defines your entire world from then on. You know, it's yeah. you can you can change what that means. There's a lot of different versions of how that can define your world from then on. Mm. But it still it definitely will define your world from then on. And I think that's the key thing through all of your music is you know, this moment will define you, but it doesn't have to define it negatively. You know, it might not be a great experience right now, but it can it can bring out something amazing in you later on. Well, that's right. And you can also go back and redefine things. Yeah. Um, well, look, I reckon that's that's. Thank you so much for your time today. That was that was the best. Oh, we oh, we we done already. <laughs> well, it's been it's been an hour. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to cut this down into five easy ten minute pieces. Um, I do. I really. I genuinely want to thank you for what you have done, what you're going to do, and what's coming up for us. In in the atmosphere of your brain, we appreciate it greatly. But I do want to leave you just quickly with what I think, being an Australian, was possibly the greatest thing I've ever heard. Was um, it is so funky, it'll make you run around in your undies. I want to personally thank you <laughs> for that line because you know to get undies out there on the international stage, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, man. And, you know, I'm incredibly grateful uh, to be part of this scene. I, I feel I feel very, very lucky. Like I said, I already toured with a band for about a decade before I got into this scene. And that was fantastic as well. But some days I feel like I died and gone to Musician Valhalla with this whole family music thing because it's so welcoming. Everybody in the crowd, you know, they're either a kid or they're in the throes of having a kid which sort of, you know, it makes the person reborn, you know what I mean? A new parent is essentially reborn as a child with their kid in a way. And the, totally. ele the electricity of that in the audience all the time, I think that that's probably been one of the greatest joys of my life to be able to share that all the time and to be able to think through that lens when I write a song and know that people are listening from that lens. I definitely, and I think I think this industry. We talk about this over here with all us kids performers over here. We we don't necessarily have a family. I guess if again, if you had to sort of create say a genre, we don't necessarily have that yet here. Um, I guess we have stuff that would fall into that world, but it's not really discussed in that same sense. But over here in the kids world. You know, we talk all the time about just how open and welcoming everyone is in this industry and in this in around this kind of creative process. And I guess, you know, it's a precise reflection of what happens when you see the world through a kid's eyes. Yeah. And it's so it's so lucky. Like I know that the way that I think I would be much more cynical and have much less hope and be, you know, much more apathetic and much more self-created misery if I wasn't constantly around the the awe mm. and the wonder that just exudes from kids like light bulbs. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, again, we are incredibly grateful that you are doing it. We're incredibly grateful of your skill and your words and Honestly, I just can't speak highly enough and I was very excited about this one. So thank you so much for taking your time and chatting with me today. Absolutely, man. I appreciate it very much. If you'd like to know more about Cactus and the work of Secret Agent 23 Skidoo, then head to their website at www.secretagent23skidoo.com. And of course, for more parent time goodness, head along to www.bennytime.com. Thanks for listening to me, Benny, asking people questions. Yeah.